Today and every day, Planned Parenthood is committed to ensuring that everyone has the information and resources they need to make their own decisions about their bodies, including abortion care. Lawmakers who oppose abortion are attacking Planned Parenthood, which means affordable, high-quality basic health care for more than 2 million people is at stake. The right to control your own body and get the health care everyone needs has been stolen. And now politicians in nearly every state have introduced bills that would block people from getting the sexual and reproductive care they need. Planned Parenthood believes everyone deserves health care. It's a human right. That's why they fight every day to push for common sense policies that protect your right to control your own body and against policies that interfere with decisions between patients and their doctor. Planned Parenthood needs your support now more than ever. With supporters like you, you can help reclaim your rights and protect and expand access to abortion care. Visit PlannedParenthood.org future. That's PlannedParenthood.org future. Here's an HIV pill dilemma for you. Picture the scene. There's a rooftop sunset with fairy lights and you're vibing with friends. You remember you've got to take your HIV pill. Important, yes, but the fun moment is gone. Did you know there's a long-acting treatment option available? So catch the sunset and keep the party going. Visit PillFreeHIV.com today to learn more. Brought to you by Vive Healthcare. Hello, ladies. Hello, hello. Hello, hey. hello. Bonjour. Bonjour. Ooh. I'm Sam Sanders. I'm Saeed Jones. And I'm Zach Stafford. And you are listening to Vibe Check. This week, we're talking about the 2024 election test balloon, a.k.a. the Trump Town Hall, a.k.a. a big flop for America yeah, last week. Yeah, that balloon week. popped. Popped. Yeah. <laughs> CNN, what you doing? Lord. CNN, what you doing? Ooh, well, so we're going to get into that. But we're also talking about our good sis, Janelle Monae's evolution in the new body of work that's coming out this summer that's really making us realize that this summer is the summer of pleasure. I pleasure, pleasure, that. pleasure. As it should be. We need yeah. Yes. But before we get into all that, how are we feeling this week? What's our vibe, Sam? What's up? Between this Janelle Monet conversation and video getting us ready for summer pleasure and finally going to see the new Guardians of the Galaxy last night. I'm how in summer that? mode. It was probably 45 minutes too long, but extremely good. It was okay. really good. Okay. I can do it. I'm that. excited to see it. Yeah. I've gone to see my first summer blockbuster. Mm. I am putting on artists like Janelle Monet to get ready for summer vibes. And I'm just feeling summery. This feels like it might be the first summer in a while where it feels like we're completely outside and yeah. the body's ready, the mind is ready. Let's F and go. Have you heard this theory that this summer is 2016 part two? What does that mean? So the argument is, is that 2016, which was Obama's last summer in office, it's also, I think there was a Beyonce album. I forget. There's a lot of music that came out in 2016 as well. I think Blonde that came was, out in 16. It was my last fun listen before Trump. Yeah, I think 2016 was the last time you, like, before Trump ever entered. I mean, it's sure. true. Summer 2016 was wild. I was wild. popping off. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, I think, I think Formation, I'm, I'm pretty sure that's when I, I oh, saw yeah. Beyonce last. Yeah, oh, yes, yeah. So the Formation tour, all that. 
So that's the theory is that, you know, we may, and we're going to get into this in the first segment, but, you know, we could, we're about to see Trump come back with a, a fire, I a see. fury, and that this may be the last summer in which we don't have to, like, really engage with him having any real power. God. And we also see music coming back, the world's opened up, so it's kind of the summer freedom before and pleasure before it all. What is the again. lesson of 2016 and that summer that we should take into this <laughs> mirror summer? I would say the lesson that you better enjoy while you can. You that, better. I had a because I'll tell you what. I did have a good time summer of 2016, and I'm like, and I'm glad I did. Yeah. <laughs> so this is the summer to, if you want to be a hoe, be a hoe this Get summer. out there. If you want to get in the streets, Listen, be in the streets. This is the summer there. to do so. We could be in the streets for fun this summer, but if Trump comes back, we'll be in the streets for the activism. One way or another, we're going to be back yeah. out there. <laughs> oh, God. Uh, Saeed, how are you doing this week? Oh, my love. I am getting by one Renaissance footage TikTok at a time. <laughs> um, <laughs> I've been obsessed with the silver horse. So here's my thing. Um, and it's funny, you know, I know some people don't want to be like overwhelmed with seeing yeah. every aspect of footage. You want to have some surprise, some awe when you're there and not be like, and I know Beyonce exactly which tour. song gets next. Yeah, when you see her, all three of us are seeing her in two weeks, basically. Yeah. We're going London. to London. Yeah, yeah. London, London. Town. So what I've done is I've been kind of focusing on one clip. Which clip? <laughs> one, so she does Break My Soul, and then she does like the Queen remix. And there's mm-hmm. a moment where she's kind of like, daka, 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 ah! And Wait, what's like, that? Do it down. again? Do it again? Daka, 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 daka. I'm like shaking my titties <laughs> on the Zoom, y'all. Those of you listening, that's why I say I wonder he's enjoying that. Um, so just so my thing has been I've been like focusing on this one clip, and I literally, anytime it pops up on my For You page, I like it, I watch it. Three or four times before I get out of bed. <laughs> is this the thing. clip where she walks with yes. the group? Yes, uh-huh, where she's oh, like doing the little so good. paw. It's, it's really fun. The music's incredible. But it, there's something about her smile mm-hmm. in this 10-second clip that feels different. It's hard to yeah. explain. It's hard to explain. I, I, I don't know if we often associate the word carefree with Beyonce, um, at least as yeah. a performer. And it, it feels carefree. I would say it feels carefree and also to the point of today's episode, it feels like she's enjoying, that she's experiencing pleasure while out there, which is nice to see. And this feels different than the run-up to Beychella, which we saw in the Homecoming documentary. She was stressed. Rigor. That was hard. Rigor. She had to get that whole band together and it was like, go. She just had them babies. Now it feels like she is fully in her bag and kind of just enjoying the whole thing. So I can't wait to feel that energy from her in London. It's going to be good. Yeah, I'm so, so excited. How about you, Zach? How you doing? I'm good. And I have to share something that I learned last night that has Mm. really rocked my brain. Mm. Go on. I got on Disney Plus, which I never do. For what? I I have a Disney Plus subscription and I've never signed in on my TV. Oh, girl. Disney Plus will get you right. It's, it's Mandalorian, they, right? They have Mandalorian. Yeah, Mandalorian. They have a lot There's and a lot, a lot of there. stuff. So uh-huh. last night I had a moment where I was like, I, I want to watch something animated, something from my childhood. Mm-hmm. I just need like a moment. Mm-hmm. And I remembered Aristocats. It's on Disney Plus. And They're going to remake it. Remake it with Questlove. And I was like, why do they need to remake this? What is he going to bring fresh to it? So I turn it on. And immediately I have a thousand questions about this movie. One, I did not know Disney for movies that are deemed culturally not sensitive in today's standards, have warnings in the front. Have you seen these? I've no. heard about them. I don't know if I've seen. It's like movies like, I think Dumbo, Aristocats, et cetera, have a thing that's like, This hey, is girl, racist. This is about to get racist. And contextually, <laughs> it wasn't racist at the time. It's, it's the one with the Siamese. The Siamese, oh. yes, the cats, yes. 
Okay. Yes. <laughs> That's kind of all I remember yeah. from that. Yeah, and there's the band at the end, and then there's a there's another cat okay. that then plays with chopsticks. It's like really Ooh, okay. like problematic Ooh, to like a f- okay. like the fullest extent. Uh-huh. So that was like question one. Question two was like, why are these cats in English accents in France? Why does everyone speak in English accents in France? Like, <laughs> watching Fra- it. Yeah, I feel like I, I, I feel like I haven't watched it since it came- I, since like daycare. So now I understand why Questlove was like, hey, girl, I'll take this on and reimagine the whole thing. Because yeah. it needs a big reimagining. But the one thing I want to say to the public right now, what they cannot change is that Duchess, the mom, is out in these streets. She oh. is the summer of pleasure. She just had these babies. <laughs> she she just had these babies and said, the streets are calling kids. We're going back out in the them. The streets and she goes, are calling. <laughs> oh, you know what? Duchess, though, was that girl. She I'm, was that girl. I'm, I'm like pulling up. <laughs> she was that girl. Yes, she was that girl. If I looked she, like Duchess... I'd be out in these streets too. Like everyone rewatch it from the perspective of Duchess just had a bunch of kittens and is at home and her butler tries to get rid of her because she's about to inherit millions of dollars. <laughs> That's the prop. That's like the crux of the movie is that the cats are inheriting all the wealth of their owner. So he, oh. the butler gets rid of them and she's in the streets and she's like, let me find an alley cat to guide me back to Paris. To Duchess said, you won't break my soul. We will not break my soul. It is her. Art, so yes. Duchess is that girl and we must, we must just give her her flowers today. So anyway, that's all I have to say. That's your vibe. We love it. Chantel was like, y'all gotta rap. Uh, yeah, so Chantel was like, y'all, like, y'all shut up. Fully lost the plot. Before we get into what we're actually talking about today, we'd like to remind all of you that we love, love, love hearing from you. We are so grateful for the fan mail, the emails, the notes, the fact checks. We do love those a lot. So keep reaching out to us on social media. You also can email us at vibecheck at stitcher.com. And with that, I think we should jump in, shall we? Let's, Let's do, do it. it. Let's talk about the impending, upcoming, maybe we're already in it, 2024 presidential election season. Whether we like it or not, it is upon us. Anyone who watched or even heard about Donald Trump's disastrous town hall on CNN last week knows we're already kind of in 2024. I'm going to take some time today to talk about how we can prepare for this onslaught that's already upon us. I'm having flashbacks. I'm having deja vu. I'm scared. I'm worried. I need my sisters to guide me here. If this town hall is any taste of what's to come, what do y'all think it shows us in terms of what's ahead? That's my first question for you both. I think it shows us we're in trouble. It it shows us that not only did, you know, the, the legacy media, let's say that, yeah. Uh, media is a very broad term. Yeah. Um, but let's say legacy media and certainly, you know, the the executives at the very top making the important decisions. I think that town hall showed us that not only did corporations like CNN not learn their lesson, however you want to define that from the last four years, I think they have decided their strategy. I think executives like Chris Licht want Trump to be reelected. They want those ratings. They want him to be kind of like, it's kind of like like people like Trump and Elon, they're like fonts of news mm-hmm. and little fires constantly. And and if you're doing a 24-7 cable yeah. news network, good those business. figures are good for you. And I think that's what I saw. That's what I saw last yeah. week. What about yeah. you, Zach? I, I agree we're in deep trouble. And I'm also worried that the media environment, the broadcast, you know, legacy, 
has kind of given up on really pushing or changing or kind of holding Trump accountable in a real way. And we're just going to see them repeat all the same mistakes in the past because, you know, between 2016 and 2020, we just see some of the highest viewership of broadcast TV, subscriptions to The New Yorker, to The New York Times, things that really built them up. And that is really the real reason why legacy media in a big way has outlasted these digital startups like Vox and BuzzFeed who, you know, didn't do a few business things early on to make sure that they could have diverse revenue moving forward. But, you know, in the middle of the Trump onslaught, you know, the New York Times made it their identity to really go after him and really just echo everything he said all the time and make Washington it news. Washington Post too, right? I mean, every time yes, you open the Washington Post yeah. app, it's like the democracy yeah. dies in darkness, which was specifically, right, exactly. in response to Trump. Exactly. And let's just recap some of the awful things that Trump said in that town hall. He said that he was inclined to pardon his supporters who stormed the Capitol on January 6th during the insurrection. He said of the looming debt ceiling deadline that he's kind of okay with the default on America's credit rating. He wasn't really clear on whether or not he wants Ukraine to win its war with Russia. I mean, this was... Pretty nasty. Not even counting what he called Caitlin Collins, the moderator. He called her a nasty woman. Not even considering what he said about his ongoing sexual assault allegations against him. Well, and also the fact, I mean, right, that this was recorded, what, the day after yeah. the he decision? The E.G. Carroll Carroll. Yeah, and, he, and yeah. she rightfully, I hope she does sue him again. Yeah. Oh, yeah. You know, for his comments. And also just, you know, I mean, to, to imagine being, you know, a person of color, an immigrant, a woman, trying to mind your business, pay your bills at CNN. In, and then here you are again in mm-hmm. 2023, watching your new boss, the new CEO, you know, make decisions about platforming yep. and just giving him. It's like, it's not just that they did a town hall with Donald Trump. It's that it's very clear they did a town hall with Donald Trump and gave him everything he wanted. Well, I, I yeah. saw yeah. some people say, like, the audience was told not to boo or to something. Boo. Like, they could yeah. only clap and cheer. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Well, and, and so this is the thing. Even in the midst of the town hall itself, Donald Trump and his team knew that it was good for business. Mm. They thought it would be before the start. But after the first commercial break, one of Trump's top aides brought him tweets of the coverage of the town hall to amp him up some more. Wow. Like, they knew. After the town hall was done, staffers at CNN who wanted to call it out and critique it were reprimanded by top leadership. You know, Mm -hmm. this is all playing into exactly what Donald Trump wants. And it's wild to think that we are back in here in the same boat after all of the years of hand-wringing over the Mm -hmm. news media covers Trump and Trump's politics. And this is something he has built himself, this kind of adversarial relationship with the media where he'll say something really bombastic, really ridiculous. They'll cover it. He'll build upon it. And while that spotlight shines on him, he'll pivot and create a new news cycle. And he just kind of like runs the news cycle over and over. And it makes me think back to, God, in 2015, the first time I met the man as a reporter— He was in Chicago for um, a bunch of speaking and trying to become president. No one thought he could become president or the nominee at the time. And I remember sitting in the pool while he was talking and a reporter next to me, and I won't say the outlet, but a very respected outlet, was reading a magazine. And I looked at her and I was like, oh, what are you reading? She's like, I'm just flipping through until he says the thing we need to write about. Uh, And that is the relationship that at the time we were like, whatever, he's a reality star. We're just trying to make news about this random dude. But then he built an empire around it. He became a president off of it. And, and like, so remember scary. how incestuous this relationship was. Mm-hmm. There were many months before he was the nominee even 
where he would call up CNN mm-hmm. or call up MSNBC and they would put the cell phone connection on live air. Mm-hmm. Yep. On live air. Sure and so that's already bad enough. But my theory is it could be even worse in this next election year because we're seeing a landscape in which there will just be fewer journalists to cover this election period. You've seen the headlines about layoffs. We even saw Vice News this week file for bankruptcy. And Vice, you know, love them or hate them, was one news outlet that would often check these legacy players like CNN. Those folks, we have less of them now. And those journalists left. The power is concentrated. And that worries me as well. What should we make of the fact that news media period is in a tough spot as we head into this year of election. I would say media is in a period of contraction. And one of the other factors, yeah, there are probably fewer reporters literally still employed right now doing this Mm -hmm. work, but like who are the reporters? And I think it's significant because I think we're entering a presidential election cycle where I think there will be very few reporters given large platforms who don't have an Ivy League degree, Mm. who don't come from family backgrounds where they can afford to survive this period of contraction. Mm-hmm. I think a lot of people are like basically aren't going to be able to like kind of tread water, you know, during this yeah. difficult time period. And so we go back and it's going to be Anderson Cooper lecturing us mm-hmm. about our silo. It's going to be the Maggie Habermans. It's going to be the Pete Bakers. It's going to be the Michael Barbaros. Today is... Wednesday, you know, all that bullshit. I mean, it, mm-hmm. it's it's one of the things that's really frustrating is that a lot of really great, aggressive, ambitious reporters and editors and producers with backbones, because that's the entire issue. A lot mm-hmm. of these people at the top don't have backbones. The people who yeah. do, it's like they've been priced out of the yeah. conditions. And so, yeah, it's I'm very worried about that because, yeah. you know, and, and Roxane Gay has a great article for Fortune.com about how it's very clear the media is not equipped to handle this next presidential election cycle for this very reason. And to build on that, what I'm really nervous about in ways that I wasn't nervous about before is the emergence of a really robust far-right media landscape. While Vice and BuzzFeed have fallen, you've seen the emergence Mm -hmm. of OAN, Newsmax, The Daily Caller. Like These places are so well-capitalized. Some of these figures from the Candace Owenses Mm -hmm. to everyone else have huge podcast networks. Even Megyn Kelly has a huge show that she also puts on YouTube. So like, as we've seen liberal media decline and not even like more middle ground media, you know, a lot of nonprofit newsrooms have fallen apart that were really middle of the road. You've seen the huge rise of these far right personalities who've built empires off Donald Trump who will now come to his aid, which is the very frightening thing. Oh yeah. Well, and then you can't, not talk about the Elon Musk and Twitter of it all. For better and for worse, uh, during election 2016, Twitter was a real public service for real-time fact-checking and breaking news on politics and the election. It's an invaluable resource on an election night to see what's going on in real time. That is no longer the case. Yeah, it might be very likely that if you check Twitter on election night 2024, it'll be You'll like get the Tucker, Well, it'll be the Tucker Carlson show. Yeah, Tucker that's, Carlson. Exactly. That's, what, yeah. that's what Elon wants. Yeah. 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 You know, so in the midst of this, as we close this segment, I kind of want to ask both of you how you're preparing to enter this year of politics, knowing these realities. The news media is contracting. It seems as if our industry hasn't learned the lessons of 2016. 
in that landscape, how are you going to be a better, more informed citizen or at least ready for whatever next year brings? For me, you know, I know a lot of friends of mine and people I've admired have lost jobs, have moved, have changed. But I have seen the emergence of really robust, you know, substacks and yep. newsletters and TikTok presence and Instagram presence. And I think individual storytellers are going to be the backbone of breaking through, similar to what we're seeing on the right. We're going to see folks on the left um, and even new publications like Semaphore with Ben Smith, like while complicated in its origin, uh, they are doing some really interesting reporting that is very journalist-led that also shows the journalist's own opinions within the reporting itself. So I think it's kind of like finding the folks that you can trust, seeing who's working and supporting individuals and not publications fully. You should support publications, but find individuals and they can help you navigate this terrain because there's still a lot of amazing people working. Oh, yeah. I mean, just one example when it comes to reproductive justice, Jessica Valenti has a great substack oh, yeah. called Abortion Every Day. Um, and, you know, it's like for that topic, for that particular issue, Jessica is the voice yeah. I turn to. Or for Supreme Court justice stuff, Chris Geithner's Law mm-hmm. Dork. Love him. Yeah. yeah. Law yeah. Dork is really wonderful. Good. And then Casey Newton, if you want yes. tech, Casey yeah. Newton's a great mm-hmm. it, view into tech under mm-hmm. the hood. So it's like, look for those folks and please reach out to us if you need like a sector, like business, we can point you to right. someone that we're following because that's where you're going to see some like really wonderful journalism happening. Yeah. Yeah. I want to point people to a Substack that I subscribe to that I think might be worth your time. It's by a journalist named Aaron Rupar, R-U-P-A-R. Uh, he was at Vox mm-hmm. for many years and he made a name for himself by being one of the most rigorous kind of real-time fact checkers of Trump. Uh, he now does it on his own through Substack. He has a podcast there too. But those kind of journalists, wherever they are, I think they're worth following. And I think my big takeaway from this town hall last week and just from the lessons we've learned the last few years is that when it comes to getting news and, and info about this election season, I'm going to trust people over institutions. Yeah, The journalists oh, I trust, right. I'm going to support yeah. them. And I will keep a wary, watchful eye on these institutions. And yeah. no shade to all of CNN. I have many friends who work there doing good work, being good journalists. But they're constrained, you know, by their bosses. But I'm going to watch both, but support really, really heavily these independent journalists doing the work. And to that point, we're even seeing within the institutions them breaking through. Oliver Darcy, the media reporter over at CNN, oh, yeah. has been He's the loudest voice. with CNN leadership over exactly. this town hall. So you see, if he keeps his job, which we hope he does, you can continue following his newsletter and it seems to be valid and real and he's really pushing internally. But if he was to leave, I think he would launch his own media newsletter and we'd all And I would up, give so. him my money. I sure yeah, would. exactly. You know, we're going into a 2024 presidential election cycle, but this is also a great time to really start thinking about the down ballot issues that might be, mm-hmm. you know, coming mm-hmm. up in all of your states. Another Senate seat is up in, in the state of Ohio, for example. And so, you know, Sherrod Brown's re-election race is going to be really important. Sherrod, because so he's the homie. <laughs> so I think it's really significant at this point, a year out, you know, don't just think about Biden or Trump or DeSantis or whatever. Look at what's going on in your state. Are there ballot issues? You know, city count, all of that stuff. To me, one one thing I am trying to take deadly serious is that it is not just about the presidential election. It is about everything yep. that's going on that yep. I get a chance to vote on a year from now. And I'm not going to wait until a month before that election oh, to totally. be like, oh, who's running for, you know, like, yeah. So yeah. That's just something I wanted to signal. And I will always say, if you want to see where shit really pops off in politics, 
It's your local school board. It really is. That's where it's going it down. It really is, yeah. That's where it's going down. Anywho, listeners, let us know how you're preparing for election 2024. Who are you watching? What are you reading? What are you getting ready for? We are at vibecheck at stitcher.com. Vibecheck at stitcher.com. All right, taking a break. And afterwards, only good vibes. Keep listening. Hey there, Zach Stafford, co-host of Vibe Check. And something I heard really early on in my career was this phrase that has never left me. It is, you can't be what you can't see. And for me, that is so true. All of the black people I got to grow up and watch on television, be journalists, and so much more, are the foundation to why I continue to have a media career. And that's the case for so, so many people. And if you're looking for the next generation of influential black voices in media, you can find all of them on NPR's new collection, Black Stories, Black Truths. In the Black Stories, Black Truths collection, you'll hear stories of joy, resilience, empowerment, and creating world-shifting things out of struggle. Every episode is a living account about what it means to be black today, told from a unique black perspective. From Bobby Shmurda to The Wire, Michelle Obama to reparations, there's no limit to the range of Black Stories, Black Truths. Black perspectives haven't always been centered in the telling of America's story. Now they are. In NPR's Black Stories, Black Truths, you'll find a collection of some of NPR's best podcast episodes celebrating the Black experience. It's NPR Noir. Listen now to Black Stories, Black Truths from NPR wherever you get your podcasts. Two guys drove to work. Neither guy wore a seatbelt. One guy got a ticket. One guy didn't. The same two guys drove home. One guy wore his seatbelt. One guy didn't. One guy made it home. The guy not wearing his seatbelt didn't. Don't risk it. Click it or ticket. Paid for by NHTSA. All right, my androids, we are back and we are excited to talk about Janelle Monet because we've got a new single, Lipstick Lover. And one hell of a music video to go with it. Excited to talk about that and Janelle Monae's evolution, discography, and pleasure. And Sam is so great. We were talking about Janelle the other day, and Sam has this great theme that he's pulling from the new music about pleasure and the body erotic. So we'll get to all of that. But to start, listen. (laughs) <laughs> I, I remember I was in graduate school, so this is like 2007, 2008, and I, I remember I was watching a, an art blog one morning before going to teach one of my classes or whatever, and the music video for Tightrope came on. I was like, who yeah. is this? Why are they? And I just, it was like, there was a before that moment, and there mm-hmm. was an after that moment. So to get started, you know... When did y'all come to the the gospel of Janelle Monet? Have you gotten to see them perform? Oh, yeah. I will tell you exactly when she got to me. 
So I knew that she was out there and surfacing and someone to watch, but I really got into her first full-length album, The Arc Android. Yes. It came out in 2010. Woo. And that year, I spent three months reporting in Portland, Oregon as part of a fellowship. And I was in Portland all by myself. And I was one of the <laughs> few black people in that city. Okay. And me and Janelle Monet. <laughs> Found our way. Like, I feel like I'm an android on a different planet surrounded by, yeah. (laughs) And it was a perfect soundtrack for my time there because Mm -hmm. the whole energy of that era of Janelle Monet was this kind of like sci fi subplot of an android named Cindy making her way through a world that was not her own. And I was like, oh, that's me. But I remember loving the sound of that album because it really incorporated some trippy sci-fi musical themes and like psychedelia. It was some Mm -hmm. trippy shit. And watching her change and grow as an artist has been equally as fun. And like watching her now in this sensual, seductive era she's in, it's very different than what she was doing back then, but it feels connected. And I just love watching that through line stay through all the work. But also, she's great live. I saw her at the 930 Club years ago. She sounds even better in person. It's wild. I love it. And listeners, you might notice that we're going back and forth between using she, her, they, them pronouns. Janelle Monet is non-binary and uses both she, her, they, them, which also, you know, I'm not just dropping that in there. I think it's also the sense of freedom that totally. uh, Janelle Monet has been able to step into is very much a part of the work and always has been, right? You know, For like, sure. As Sam is saying from the ARC Android, and listen, we can go even further back. Talk about many moons. Look, I'm in Deep Girls. Yes. Okay, so I'm giving you deep cuts to be very <laughs> clear. And, you know, even just the idea of, like, I'm not human, I'm an android. That feels very queer to me. Mm -hmm. I love that. Uh, But, Zach, what about you? What's your history with Janelle? So my history with Janelle Monae begins with friend of the show, Judson. And for listeners wanting to understand the universe of Vibe Check, Judson is the caller in on The Sporkful recently who started our Chipotle (laughs) drama that continues to come up in conversations every week that I'm somewhere. About the Chipotle Bowl? How do you eat a Chipotle bowl? Yeah, how do you eat a Chipotle bowl? We all have our thoughts. But um, Judson and I were roommates, I would say in like 2015 in Chicago, and he was obsessed with Janelle Monet. He, as a black queer man, found so much joy out of her, and it was before she was publicly talking about being queer. Mm-hmm. I think a lot of us as black queer people, we saw her and we're like, that's our sister. Like, she yeah. is part of our community. And what I've loved watching her since that time is seeing how she's slowly on her own terms come out as herself in so many ways and tested things and played mm-hmm. and explored things. And, you know, a lot of people talk about her as you know, a musician and I love her music. I especially love the music videos, like the music video Pink, which was an ode to vulvas. I, I was obsessed with when it came out. The vulva pants. I the vulva know. pants. Amazing. Mm-hmm. And Tessa, Tessa Thompson, Thompson in it. Uh-huh. Uh, but where I really was like, oh my God, this woman is really a star was in the movie Moonlight, right. where she played yeah. the girlfriend to Mahershala Ali when Chiron, the, the protagonist, goes and stays with Mahershala. Herschel and she was just so wonderful. And I remember that Oscar campaign. She was so present and talking about blackness and queerness and family. And she's always just been like the homie. And I just oh, yeah. really feel like she's always been fighting for us. And that's what I love yeah. most about her. Yeah, I um, have gotten to see Janelle perform at least twice. Um, But the first time I was living in San Francisco, so this was when Electric Lady was about to come out because Queen was the first single and that was the only Mm -hmm. song we had so far. So Mm -hmm. this is probably 2012, maybe 2013, spring 2013. She performed Mm -hmm. with the San Francisco Symphony Orchestra um, as part of their spring gala. And I was just... (laughs) 
It's like, ah, I couldn't believe yeah. it. I got, me and my friend went and, I, and it was really interesting because, you know, like orchestra folks or opera folks, but, you know, they have a crew. It's like a very specific mm-hmm. demographic. And this demographic of people was not familiar with Janelle Monet, And so I remember a lot of people leaving because I think they like, you know, oh. Janelle started, opens, you know, Janelle opens with tightrope and it's just, yeah. you know, da-da. and and I think they were just kind of like, this isn't what we signed up for. And my friend and I didn't mind because that meant we got to move into better seats. Hell yeah. And yeah, I always felt that Janelle was family. I just couldn't tell if she was going to be a sister or a cousin, if you know what there I mean. I was like, but she invited <laughs> yeah. to the family reunion no matter what. But I remember her singing Prince and Michael Jackson songs that night and mm. she didn't change the pronouns. And I was mm. like, oh, Oh, interesting. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Well, and then just even thinking about her from the start with this persona of the Archandroid. Yeah. Janelle Monet was always about the possibility of being more than just yourself or more Oof. than just what society thinks you are. Love from that. the start, mm-hmm. she was pushing further than the boundary society would give someone like her. So it, it totally tracks that we end up where we are now. And it's been a joy to watch that journey. And it's been yeah. a journey. You know, there was a time at the start of her career where she wore the same thing all the time. Mm-hmm. It's yeah, kind of like tuxedo. black tuxedo get up, you know? And yeah. she's changed. And I love that. And we actually have a clip. So in 2018, uh, Janelle Monet appeared on the radio show, The Breakfast Club, which is not a problematic is, show. Not, problematic let, let's go further. It is actually straight up antagonistic to black queer yeah. people often yes. who come yes. on that show as guests. I remember an interview with Janet Mock that I found just to be straight up disrespectful. But we'll play this clip. Because I felt like for a while people were using my image to denounce and defame and demean other women because I was wearing a tuxedo and, right. you know, you hadn't seen, you know, my skin. But some people who have their own agendas and our respectability politicians may have been misled into believing that I was covering up to be an example to of, be how, an a example of how to be proper. Woman, right? And yeah. And so um, I didn't I like that. You. I never took that as a compliment. It's clear, like, to see someone like Janelle move from wearing the kind of tuxedo, black and white aesthetic inspired by her parents' work uniforms into a very different aesthetic that we're seeing now with Lipstick Lover. I think maybe some people might be surprised and they go, wait, what's going on here? But I wanted to ask y'all, how do you see Lipstick Lover? We got the titties out. We got the Mm -hmm. body out. Sex pleasure how does this fit into janelle monet's revolution when we think of the discography like is it a diversion or is it a next step i think it makes perfect sense i think when you look at the way pop stars have to be pop stars and the way they are introduced to their audiences and the way they get to evolve over time this tracks whether you're straight or queer i think about early beyonce early solo beyonce early destiny's child she wasn't doing partition then right you know what i'm saying she got there i think a lot of times these artists enter the industry under structures and strictures and confines that they haven't made and they only get to really fully be their own lipstick lover self once they've proven themselves and gotten you know enough power so there's that i also think that the trajectory for a lot of people with their sexuality isn't just one coming out day it wasn't for me You know, and I think for many, her path towards her visibility right now is a lesson to everyone. Kind of just go at your own pace. Get there when you get there. Love yourself the whole way. So I don't know. It feels totally fine to me. We've seen her trajectory over the course of a decade, but I have no problems with it. And she seems very happy now. So kudos to her. 
And just yeah. one example, you're right to say maybe like being able to do things the way you actually want to do mm-hmm. them. It takes time, power, and capital. Um, yeah. On Electric Lady, again, the album that comes out in, I believe it's 2013. 2013. The lead single was Queen. Um, great mm-hmm. song with Erica yeah. Badu. But, yeah. And I remember at the time, like if you listen really closely and think about it, you can sometimes hear how songs maybe were changed during the uh-huh. or revised a bit during yeah. the production process. And I think, like Zach, you were able to verify it was initially going to yeah. be called Queer, right? Yeah, it was going to be called Queer. And this is according to a Rolling Stones um, profile of Janelle Monet from 2018. That's really wonderful. And in it, they disclosed that the original track was going to be called Queer. They switched it to Queen mm-hmm. because, you know, she wasn't out publicly yet. Yeah. Friends and family mm-hmm. knew, but she wanted to signal to her, her fans the journey she was on and kind of going through. So in the song, if you listen carefully, most all the queers have been changed to Queen, but there are some background vocals that still say Queer. Wow. So you as a queer person know that you can hear yourself. Yeah. I feel like the gist of the song is basically like, am I a freak for being mm-hmm. myself? And that doesn't quite line up with the idea of like when we think of queendom and queen. I was like, yeah. that's not quite. Yeah. So it's, yeah. it's cool to see this. Like, it's a journey. It's a journey. Yeah. And that's what I think that's why we wanted to talk about Janelle Monáe today is that like queer people coming out is an ongoing process. You know, Eve Sedgwick in her book, uh, the seminal text, the epistemology of the closet says no one's ever out. It's always, you're coming Ooh. out constantly uh, because when you meet people, you're always telling your story mm-hmm. and sharing yourself. And, and people in the public eye kind of get blocked on coming out because people assume an identity, they project onto them and they get stuck in time in people's yeah. minds. And Janelle Monet has said, you know, if you think this is shocking, this new album, then you haven't been paying attention. Mm-hmm. There I've been go. wearing tuxes in a decade. <laughs> what are you talking about? There you go. Well, and I think for me, as we talk about this very sensual sexual song and video coming out as we enter this summer, that is going to feel very alive. The lesson of Janelle Monet, the lesson of Lipstick Lover is really simple for me. It's like, it doesn't matter how long it takes you to get there. But once you're in a place where you feel free and in love with your body and yourself, let the flag fly. Mm. Be out there. Feel good about it. Mm. What I love about Janelle Monet in this video and with this song is she's not second guessing anything. Her journey is her journey. Her path's her path. She's here now doing this and she's enjoying it. And that is my lesson for this summer. Uh Enjoy yourself, no matter how you got here. Also, because I think, in my opinion, the erotic and pleasure are not a departure from the revolution. Yeah. It's important for us to understand what we're fighting for and what freedom and what liberation looks, feels, sounds like, tastes like. And and I think it's it's important to have that just as clear as, as to understand, you know, what we're you know, fighting against or tearing down. And so to me, you know, the ARC android, Cindy Mayweather, the underground revolutionary, yeah, is absolutely on a path through pink, you know, to yeah. lipstick lover. Like, it's not her, like, taking a break from mm-hmm. these ideas that have been there from the very beginning. It's it's her it's kind all of clarifying. Of yeah, yeah, I love it. Yeah. I love it. Well, Janelle, we love you. We do. Well, and also, I think that, like, the takeaway that I see in this video, which everyone should watch, you should watch it. It's central, but it's very fun as well. You got to be grown. Look, YouTube you was like, uh, Saeed, you're going to need to sign in for this because this is adult content. I was like, whoa. <laughs> yeah. But like what I see in this video is an artist who's saying to themselves, no more should statements. It's going to be good. Yeah. Well, I should do this. I, I should be that. marketable. I should be straight acting. I should mm-hmm. present this way. I should make the label happy. She's saying, 
I could have a bunch of dildos in this video. Mm-hmm. I could have my titties out. Mm-hmm. I could kiss her. I could kiss her too. I could jump into this pool half naked. Let this be a summer of could, not a yeah. summer of should. I Stop love doing the so should much. shit. What could you do? What is the possibility of you, your freedom, and your body? Could. Love. That's I love amen. that. And I love Preaching that today. because it's also yeah. like you are free to say could for the entirety of your life. There's there no point go. in your life and in your journey where could is no longer a part of your domain, you know? Mm-hmm. And I think it's been really cool to see, like, you're right. Like, you know, Janelle is like a very successful artist. Grammys has been an Oscar, you know, nominated and awarded films and yeah. is still saying could. I love that. Mm-hmm. Summer yeah. of could. Summer of could. Thank you for that, Janelle. There we go. All right, well, we're going to take another quick break, but don't go anywhere. We'll be right back. When Tillamook ice cream beckons you to the freezer aisle, which irresistibly creamy flavor do you choose? While you're thinking, try not to fuck up the glass. Tillamook ice cream. Extraordinary dairy. Have you ever spotted McDonald's hot, crispy fries right as they're being scooped into the carton? And time just stands still. All right, we are back. And before we end the show, we'd each like to share something that's helping us keep our vibes right or throwing us off this week to get us started. Sam Sanders, what's keeping your vibe right? Well, one, I'm so happy that my sister Saeed brought Janelle Monae to the episode today because it reminded me how much I love her debut album, The Arc Android, which we've mentioned, mm-hmm. came out in 2010. It is futuristic. It's psychedelic. It is weird in the best way. And I want to recommend, if I may, two songs from the album. One is called Cold War. Oof. I think it's Janelle Monae at her best. And then the other one is this kind of ballad called Mushrooms and Roses. Mm. It's got a slow wind up, but around minute five, Janelle is hollering and you're hearing one of the best guitar solos you've heard on an R&B album in a while. Her longtime guitarist named Kalindo outdoes himself on this track. Mushrooms and Roses, just for the back half, is damn near perfect. So that's my rec for y'all this week. Go back and check out the entire album from Janelle Monae called The Arc Android. But for sure, make time for two tracks, Cold War and Mushrooms and Roses. The guitar, as the kids say, slaps. And the music video for Cold War is... I, we throw around the word iconic, but I just it's, it's just the camera very close on her face, just singing. And it's actually really interesting because it's it feels like it really captures the t- Tension that I feel mm-hmm. like Janelle Monet maybe was feeling at that time regarding gender and sexuality. And there's a it's mm-hmm. very emotional. She's tearing up, and you see her like struggling to kind of get through some moments. And it just it's deeply affecting. Yeah. Oh, yeah. I am excited. Yeah. What a gift. This is this is the other thing about yeah. seeing artists be creative and ambitions, is, is that it, it, it like enriches and like adds new colors to all the other work they've done. And so I'm excited to kind of go back through the discography. Oh, yeah. Pull the lyrics up here and you mentioned the video. The the first stanza of Cold War is, so you think I'm alone, but being alone's the only way to be. When you step outside, you spend life fighting for your sanity. Wow. What has she been saying to us the whole Ooh. time? She's been A telling word. us the uh-huh. whole time. Anywho, She's really like, anywho. I'm glad y'all are finally paying attention. Yes, yes, <laughs> yes. Whew. 
Uh, oh my God. Well, Saeed, what's keeping your vibe right this week? What's keeping my vibe right at the moment is a television show that I am watching on Netflix. It's a show that I've heard people talk positively about Kim's Convenience. Super yeah. cute. Super yeah. cute. It's this cute. I feel like there are all these little Canadian show, you know, Shits Creek, Canadian mm-hmm. show, um, sort of, another great well, you Canadian know why it's show. It's all sponsored by the government. The oh, government okay. does a much better job of funding programming yeah. from non mainstream voices. So I think all the shows you've yeah. mentioned had government funding. Great from, little yeah, offbeat shows where you're kind of like, huh, I don't know if this would get made in the United States. Totally. You know? um, yeah. It's great. And it's, you know, this Korean Canadian family, I think it's set in Toronto based on what I've seen some, from some of the, the footage. Um, and yeah, I'm nine or so episodes into the first season. It's very funny. The mom and dad <laughs> run away with the show. If you've watched it, um, and I was just talking to my friend Tanya who listens to Five Check. Hi, Tanya. She loves it as well. Um, Sneak Attack. If you know, you know. Um, it's really great. But um, I'll just say the show's pilot is named Gay Discount. <laughs> and, Gay and, discount. and so from the very jump, it's this Korean you know, father who owns the store. He's initially kind of complaining about the pride parade that's going to be coming through the neighborhood for like practical reasons. He's like the trash and then it's hard for customers to come in, all this kind of stuff. And he realizes he's about to piss off two gay customers. And so he comes up with a 15% gay discount idea. And I'm obsessed. <laughs> just, I love it. And it was just cool I to see it. this show that's not, it's not necessarily like a queer LGBT, yeah. you know, however you want to frame it. But I was like, how interesting that from their pilot, they're really kind of bringing in, you know, the community in this way. And it's just funny as hell. It's that's really hilarious. Funny. We love the Canadians. <laughs> Zach, what about you? <laughs> My recommendation this week is the book Traffic by Ben Smith. Ben Smith is the founding editor-in-chief of BuzzFeed News and one of the people that made BuzzFeed what it is. He now runs the platform Semaphore, which we spoke about earlier on the show. But he has a new book out called Traffic that's been the talk of media ecosystems all week in the past two weeks. And as Andrew Sullivan said, who I do not enjoy, he hates the book, I think, but he said it's a first draft of history of the time that we all grew up in in media, the past 10 and 15 years, how digital erupted, how it took over and how it's falling. So if you're confused about like, why is BuzzFeed falling? Why is Vice going bankrupt? This book does give you a great breakdown of how it's happening and why it's happening and what it all means. So congrats to Ben Smith. He is the best person to write this draft yeah. of history about traffic. One of my best friends, Isaac Fitzgerald, read the book. And he mm. said, yeah, I, I mean, the, the idea of the first draft is actually really interesting. But he was like, yeah, it's a helpful framework, at least to begin to think about the last decade in media, in the social web, and a lot of, you know, even Vice, like literally going bankrupt. To just be, it's the beginning of us looking back and getting a sense of it. But I will tell y'all, you know, Ben knows, he asked me if I would read an early copy so that I could blurb it. I worked for Ben for, what, six years? Um, oh, wow. And I texted him, I don't think that's a good idea for either of us. <laughs> <laughs> Wow. Yeah. I, I like that all the time. I'm like, if I ever need to know 
the reality of something in my life. <laughs> go, go to Saeed. Because <laughs> <laughs> he's going to tell you. He's he going to tell you. Like, so this, is, well, this is what's happening. It's not even this is what I think. It's, this is what's going on. <laughs> yeah. All right. Well, all right. All right. All right. Well, you know, listeners, we want to hear from you. What are you feeling or not feeling this week? What do you think of the book Traffic by Ben Smith? What is your favorite Janelle Monae song? Let us know. Also, tell us if you're watching Kim's Convenience. I'm going to maybe download it for a plane ride. Send all of that to us via email at vibecheck at stitcher.com. Thank you for listening to this week's episode of Vibe Check. If you love the show and want to support us, please make sure to follow us on whatever your favorite podcast listening platform is and tell a friend. And how about this? I really want to convince people to spread the word about the show IRL. To any daring listener intrepid enough to record themselves proselytizing our show to a friend, send us the voice memo and your friend's reaction. We might play it in the show. Think about that. And just for legal purposes, because it depends state by state, after you record the person, ask them if it's okay for you to share with us. Please, God. Because certain states, it's okay. You only need one party consent. But most states, you know, let's get two party consent here. Or three party or four party. Yes. (laughs) So at your next brunch, tell your friends about Vibe Check. Tell them to listen. Record yourself and their reaction. And if they give you permission, send us the audio. Well, a huge thank you to our producer, Shanta Holder, engineer Brendan Burns, and Marcus Holm for our theme music and sound design. Also, special thanks to our executive producers, Nora Ritchie at Stitcher, and Brandon Sharp from Agenda Management and Production. We want to hear from you. Don't forget, you can email us at vibecheckatstitcher.com and keep in touch with us on Instagram at The Ferocity, at Zach Staff, and at Sam Sanders. And I believe all three of us now are on Blue Sky, right? But on the other apps, you know, you can find us, Two Girlies. And of course, we love it when you use the hashtag VibeCheckPod. Friends, stay tuned for another episode next Wednesday. Bye. Bye. Stitcher. With chocolate treats mixed into dark chocolate ice cream, the Tillamook Chocolate Collection is a chocolate game changer. Because the thing that pairs best with chocolate is more chocolate. Tillamook Chocolate Collection Ice Cream. Extraordinary Dairy. Have you ever spotted McDonald's hot, crispy fries right as they're being scooped into the carton? And time just stands still. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba.